Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector, a MotoGP pub podcast from a group of schmucks who kind of know what we're talking about. I am your host, Matt Polanski. You can follow me on all social medias at Matt Polanski1. Today, I am joined by two very special guests. First, we have Jacob Ward from Moto Now Moto Racing. No, no, Now Moto News, right? Yeah, here we are. Got okay, end, I got it yeah. right eventually. It's, uh, it's not the most memorable, but there were so many things taken that it was there on note. Right. So, yeah, good to be on. Well, thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, we are also joined by Matthew Thompson, who is just a friend of Jake's, and he was willing to talk MotoGP with us. So we're glad to have him here. Yeah, always glad to talk. It's something to do, and it's very entertaining. Something I, mm-hmm. I enjoy. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start this podcast like we do every podcast with some news. And uh, leading up to Sepang, there really wasn't any news. Um, the big news that broke after the race was that Repsol has re-upped with Honda for two more seasons. Um, at this rate, I think they're just a staple, and we just expect them all to be here. So when you see this news of two more years, you're like, they have a contract? Yeah, it's uh, this will be 30 years of Repsol. Uh, at the end of the contract, on, on the day it ends, it'll be a 30 years of it being orange. I'm 32 years old, so they started when I was still in diapers. <laughs> well, I, I'm 29, so it was before my time, you know? <laughs> so, it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just become a staple, isn't it? You know, it's uh, everything you see uh, on Honda, you just associate with Repsol now. Mm-hmm. It, I thought it was funny right afterwards, you started seeing memes come out where it was like, uh, Repsol rene- uh, renews for two years and unveils 2024 or 2023 livery. It was just the bike from this year. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the biggest change they've made in the past couple of years is the white instead of black. You know, when that's the biggest change, you know they uh, they ain't changing much. Right. They found what well, works. Why change it? Yeah, and like you know, everybody seems like everybody gets on the liveries every time they come out at the beginning of the year. Everybody gets on them like, oh, what changed? What didn't change? Oh, why is the Repsol the same after how many years? You know, why is the K- oh, the KTM added white to it this year? It's like, these are brands that everybody knows and everybody is familiar with. And if all of a sudden Repsol came out and was red, white, and blue or yeah. some yeah. other color, people would be like, lo- they would lose their mind if yeah. it wasn't some form of Repsol color. So it's like you get the people that want change and want something new, but at the same time, if you drastically changed a Repsol bike, people would lose their shit. Like, well, that's not Repsol. Yeah, like the factory Honda colors in themselves mm-hmm. are beautiful. You know, it wouldn't be a bad replacement, but I don't think at any point is Repsol ugly. You know, it's, it's, it's so instantly recognizable. And like, could you imagine Repsol on a Yamaha, on a Suzuki? You Thank couldn't. God. It, it's just it, it is Honda. Like they're intertwined now in MotoGP, and that's how it is, and that's how it will probably stay for the foreseeable. Yeah. The only other manufacturer I think of when I think of Repsol is Subaru, but that's from like the Colin McRae rally years. Yeah. Where Repsol ran it. Yeah, that's the only other manufacturer I think of when I think of Repsol. Like. Yeah, I mean, and even like in the trials, like. Tony yes. Bowe is synonymous with, with Repsol, and he yeah. rides a Montessa, which is a subsidiary of Honda. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like he's on a Yamaha-based trials bike. He's on a Honda, basically. So, right. it, you know, and it's just the Spanish feeling of it. It's just, it's not going away anytime soon. And I think people just need to accept that, to be honest. Yeah, it, it's like I said, you almost, you just think like, oh, they're just here forever. Oh, well, like, could you imagine the money they put in? Honda would suffer to some degree. Like, Honda are huge, but even mm-hmm. they would suffer to some degree because Repsol have put so much into this sport. They deserve respect. Right. It, I don't want to say it's almost like Ferrari and F1 because, like, I think Ferrari has a much bigger stake in F1 than Repsol does in MotoGP. Mm. But it's it's similar. Like you can't imagine one without the other at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Like and the same know, kind of dynamic. Maybe just not the level of commitment. Right. Yeah. So it, what confuses me is that people seem to think Honda would be better off without Repsol. And I do agree that they have too much influence in the team. You know, like with with their decision making, this that, and the other. But they've almost earned the shot at getting control because they've been so successful, it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why, why, why would you suddenly hand over control to someone else when, you know, up until two years ago, you've been winning consistently? It's, it and, just doesn't make any sense. And if if you went away from Repsol, who who would you go with? Who Red could Bull come would be in? the only one. Y- yeah. I think Red, Red Bull would be the only one to bring the kind of money because you've seen... Like what other? I mean, mind you, Repsol's an oil company. So what? You would think you'd almost need oil money to replace that. Yeah. And who, um, who's going to come in? Well, apparently, at the end of twenty twenty, either twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, memory escapes me. Like which year now? There were discussions between Petronas and Honda. Uh, I, I believe they only got as far as discussions, mm-hmm. but. It's that's the level we're talking to replace Repsol, you know, not small fry. Right. It, it would have to be some form of an oil petrol company. But again, where the fuel is fixed in MotoGP and Petronas are the sole fuel supplier, that mm-hmm. then scares away any oil companies because they would want to use their own product, quite rightly. So right. Where do you go from there? Well, it's I'm just... intrigued to see when, with their. Uh... Talking of changing it all uh, bioengineered fuels, where that's going to go as far as what sponsors from oil companies are going to want to be in the sport. Because, you know, mm. if, they're, if they're not able to use their own fuels because it's not, you know, oil-based, who knows, Repsol could be designing their own just for MotoGP, but you never know where that could go. And right. everybody's going to be developing some form of a synthetic fuel in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, we have previously had this discussion on the other podcast I'm part of, and uh, we we disagreed because they seem to think that hydrogen was the way to go. And I was thinking uh, the sustainability of hydrogen is great, but the packaging, no. It's very difficult to get hydrogen into your car as it is. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to want to waste that precious hydrogen as it is on racing. It's just not going to happen. Right. It'll I know. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's more than likely going to be some sort of liquid still. The hydrogen is just not uh, a feasible option. It changes 
way more factors as opposed to just how the engine runs, how the how you put it in the car and that sort of thing. The infrastructure just not there. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at like you know to go back to rally, you know WRC has been testing hydrogen for I think the past season or two, and that has been a developmental. I don't want to say nightmare, but more roller coaster. Because it's like they make step forward and then they find something wrong and then it steps back. And then you, th- you know, they make, you don't hear about the project for six months and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, the car's at the next rally. And then it, it disappears for a long time. And it's because they found a bug or, yeah, they're, they're trying to change something. So I think it's either going to have to be some, you know, form of, some form of, you know, alternative fuel or the other option would be, and I, I know people hate this would be more electrical. Yeah. We already have the moto e-bikes. Are they perfect? No. Um, you know, the technology would have to get better. I think, you know, by the time fossil fuels would be on their way out, maybe we, the moto e-bikes could be better. Yeah, maybe the char- the battery capacity, the charging system could be better. So you could actually have a 20 lap race instead of the seven or eight lap races we're getting now. Yeah, the uh, Ducati are infinitely better than Energica were, which mm-hmm. is to be expected because they've had years of development and seeing Energica's mistakes. So, you know, they, they're going to be better. But right. The technology is still, it technically is still in its infancy, even though electric cars have been around for a long time. It's only mm-hmm. really exploded in the last decade. And yeah, with and- that, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it in a way that doesn't sound condescending, but people need to accept that fossil fuels are not the future, no matter how much you want them to be. Right. Yeah, and at this point, in, as far as the, electric bikes racing this is all still development stages even though they're having races they're they're just constantly racing to get more information to make them better like you said eventually it could get to the 20 lap race i'm sure that's the goal somewhat so they they just have to keep going other companies look at what is going on in the world around them as far as other bikes and improve upon it that's the only way it gets better Mm-hmm. You're only going to get better by racing. It's the same as a rider. You're Absolutely. not going to get better by sitting on your ass doing anything, nothing. You know what I mean? Right. And you, know, you look at like sports like F1 where you see technology 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that now is commonplace. You know, it's the same thing with Moto GP and the Moto e bikes. Like, this is technology that they're developing, and we could see. 10 years in the future where bikes are all electric now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a developmental and that's a lot of MotoGP and the formula racing as a whole, you know, F1 and MotoGP is almost a del- de- I don't want to say developmental series, but you're, you're but right. You, like it, it's a, yeah. it's a future series almost for yeah. what, what we, the consumer is going to get down the line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, like, look at hybrids. F one yep. did it, then all of a sudden, boom, they're everywhere. F one do a lot of 
what shapes the the roads basically mm-hmm. and and but gp should be the same and it is to a point like we see in wings on road bikes now you know we see in 250 horsepower ducatis on the road now but right. it's like it's, it's not it, it's not the same like a lot of the technology is not going to translate to road bikes because people would see them as superfluous like do you really need a ride height device on the road <laughs> no do you really need adjustable wings on the road? Do you really need a scoop on the back of your rear tire? It's, it's all it's little things whole, like, like that. Uh, it's the whole like steps, you know, they make one development, sure, that one's not for the road, but it can lead them to another development which may work with the road. And it's it's mm-hmm. the, the process of getting there. They find mm-hmm. things that work for them and find things that work for everyone. Like, I, I would love to see MotoGP take on hybridization. Like a small electric coos boost on a street or something. Imagine right. that. That would be incredible. I would. I would wonder how they would fit that in the bike. Well, like, uh, that's what I was thinking. Is the size issue right? Because like, because the the storage is extremely big still, and that's like weight wise as well. You know, you'd be tipping into a corner with basically an extra fifty kilos. So at the moment, it's not sustainable. But the rate of development we got at the minute, why not? You know, and, I mean, and, like, and a company like Repsol, who are an oil company, mm-hmm. are potentially going to be left behind unless they, you know, unless they adjust. All all companies will be that develop just oil, because right. you, you need to move with the future. Yeah, like look at as far as the you were saying the electric motors to make a hybrid look at all these like bicycles now that are becoming uh electric and they're built into the frames that's mm-hmm. potentially something that you know just, it's becoming more compact batteries you know before bicycles that had that had huge batteries like look at the the altas and the ktm free rides and stuff they have big batteries but they're getting mm-hmm. smaller and smaller and eventually mm-hmm. they'll they'll figure out how to make it compact into the bike it's potential for the hybrids yeah, I, I I don't think it'll be within the next five years. Oh no! But with the rate of development that we've seen on hybridization, electrical, it won't be long. We'll see it in like we'll see it by the time you know Rossi's kids racing, for example. <laughs> yeah, we'll see the, it then. The tech is there. It's just the the how to oh, in compartmentalize. So how to compartmentalize everything and getting the right weight ratios mm. and such yeah because it could like in theory it could be used as ballast you can put it wherever you want on the bike mm-hmm. you know lower the center of gravity great but then that won't matter if it's three feet wide you know, yeah. it's, it's not going to fit in a car it's, it doesn't matter because you've got so much more space you can put it wherever you want to make your car the better the best it can be on a bike you've got so little real estate and with the aerodynamics now you know like you look at the ducati where can you put something else on that apart from the tail, which they've already done with the Stegosaurus? Nothing. Yeah. Like the the only place left is like under the seat, and what are you going to do there, really? Because you've got a mass damper in there. It, there's nothing. Like there's nothing. Well, aren't the uh, gas tanks positioned under the seats? That for weight distribution, they're like part of them is under the seat. Yes, I believe I think a they, little like, bit of they don't have the tank as in a classic tank. You know, right. Like, yeah. I think it's just it is a just a route. Yeah, but as for where they 
put it precisely, I wouldn't be able to tell you because right. nobody knows really unless you see it on a regular basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's going to do it for today's for the news of the week. Um, we're going to move into Moto Three, where we had a podium of John McPhee, Ayuma Sasaki, and Sergio Garcia, and the last lap of this race. Mind you, when the race was going on, I'm in Eastern time zone. It was like one in the morning. Yeah. And I was losing my mind. (laughs) Half asleep. But watching John McPhee pull off what he did on the last lap. And he even said, as he came out of uh, the last corner, uh, coming down the straightaway, he's like, I was either going to win it. Bennett or take out my teammate. Yeah, there was no in between. No, and I think he picked the best option where he just won it. Yeah, but I, I think he just wanted it more. Like it, it's that simple. Like you know, to make a move like that on the final lap is is bold. Like mm-hmm. it's seriously bold because turn fifteen at Sapang, a left hander where you haven't been going left for a little bit of time, off camber for the win, like. It's it's a bold move to make. You you ideally want to get it done before then. Mm-hmm. But so the fact that he made it there and was successful and didn't get drafted on the exit, seriously impressive. And you look at the grid. He started twenty second, mm. and it's certain. Like he, I think at this point, McPhee has become one of those faces. He he was just sort of there. It was like, okay, you saw he was, you know, about where he was, and you're like, oh yeah, there's John McPhee. And to watch him move up through this race from twenty to start twenty second and just to work his way up. Yeah. And on that final lap, like going across start finish line, it was sort of like, oh hey, John McPhee's there. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's he's kind of in the mix. And then through that last lap to watch him you know, just pick rider after rider and then to get it in the last corner. I, I think I think it's almost fair to say that everybody was not concerned with him because they were so busy fighting amongst themselves that mm-hmm. he sort of just appeared out of nowhere and saw a gap and took it. You know, it, it, it's, it's what Moto3 is all about. You need to take your gaps and it's what he hasn't done enough of, in my opinion, because that's why he's not ever been anything you know close to a title contender because he will not make the move where others would but on this occasion the gap was there and he sent it you know if we'd seen that five years ago he might well be a motor two by now but right unfortunately you know the chips as fell as they were and you know it's, it's second the last race in motor three he's we're not going to see him again after valencia in motor three because of the age limit so you know, what a send-off mm-hmm and you like looking at the lap chart from the race, you know, he starts 22nd, he finishes lap one in 15th. So he's jumped up seven spots in one lap. Lap 16, he crosses the start finish line in fifth place. Yeah. You know, so to work, you know, from lap one to 15th to fifth place on lap 16. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. in itself is a feat. Like you could easily just look at, you know, lap 16 and be like, damn, he worked his ass off just to get up to fifth place. And, but like you said, it was like he was not taking 
that as an answer. He was like, I'm going to win this, win it, bin it, or take out my teammate in the process. Yeah, literally. It's, I, I think it is worth pointing out that he was out of position in qualifying. His pace was not 22nd, like throughout the no. few practices. So that was a benefit. But it's so easy to lose touch in a Moto3 group. You know, the one incident, two groups split, and then, you know, six, seven, eight could be your highest, even if you are faster than the leaders. Bridging mm-hmm. a gap in Moto3 is so, so difficult. So to make oh, him, yeah. like, to make that gap up, and, and there was a gap. It, it is worth pointing out, there was a gap. And he mm-hmm. bridged it. It's, it's a seriously impressive ride. Yeah, Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, I... <laughs> I only caught the very end because, like you said, you uh, I'm an hour behind you, so it was mm-hmm. midnight, very very late, was very tired. But yeah, I I was seriously impressed. And like you guys said, that's a great way to go out. The really the only way you really wish you could go out, just mm-hmm. be on top for for once. Yeah, it's a it, it it's worth pointing out also for the pluses of McPhee that all season they have not listened to him in terms of his input on the bike. Right. His crew chief has split with him, will not be his crew chief at Valencia. Well, he was fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because of the results. And, you know, as soon as McPhee can well, do what he wants to the bike, look what happens. He's got the confidence to push. Well, no, wasn't that the manager that was, or the uh, crew chief that was fired for the uh, incident a few years ago at uh, Thailand? No. no, no, I don't believe okay. so. I don't believe that. I I might be wrong on that, but I don't believe so. I believe that they split because McPhee and him just weren't. I believe he'll stay with Max Racing, but do not quote me on that. But I believe he'll stay with Max Racing, just not like for the rest of the season with McPhee. But there's only one race left, you know. And apparently, he was able to make the changes he fancied to the bike for Sepang and obviously will be for Valencia and look what happens. It's just that a rider's confidence can make so much difference. I yeah, don't think you're wrong on that though. Yeah. His, um, I just looked uh, on motorsport, the mechanic who has not officially identified, but is widely known to be John McPhee's crew chief at the max racing team. Ah, that'd be good, then. And then it says his name. I'm horrible with pronunciation, so I'm not even going to try. I'm going to butcher this if I try this. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's why he's leaving the team is because he was the um, mechanic who that video surfaced of. Yeah, and kick in Tom Booth Amos, yes. Yeah, and it was the same thing with um, the uh, two Max Racing um, yes. crew members. Who got it? Was one of those things where it was like, well, he's already on the trip with McPhee. We we already have the visas worked out, so we have mm. to keep him along. And then once we get back to Europe, he can go. Yeah, um, the two mechanics who tried to stop Adrian Fernandez, they mm-hmm. got to do the first two of the flyaways. So they got to Australia and Japan, but yep. then they were sent home for Malaysia and. Will no, they got. Home. They got to do Thailand and Japan. They had to go home for Australia yeah, and Australia, Malaysia. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Thailand yeah. and Japan. Um, like, because of the visas, etc. Right. Which is understandable. You know, like, it, it's very hard to sort out logistics, especially for the flyaways. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they sent a message on that. Because yes. what they did was just unacceptable. Right. Um, 
so something you brought up, I wanted to get your viewpoints on. At, after this season, McPhee ages out of the uh, out of Moto Three. Mm-hmm. Should there be an age group or an age limit on Moto Three? Yes. Yes. You think so? If, if okay. anything, I think it should be lower. Really? Yeah, because Moto Three is meant to be your feeder class. You know, with the ages now, you go in at eighteen, bare minimum. If you are not doing anything by the age of twenty-five to, in looking to move up you're probably not going to. Like, it, it's, a, it's a real catch-22 Moto3 because in the two-stroke days, you used to be able to stay down and be a 125 specialist, a 250 specialist. Mm-hmm. It's not like that now. You, you, you need to use Moto3 as your stepping stone to MotoGP. You don't want to be remaining in Moto3. Like, Romano Fanati is one of the winningest riders in Moto3, but he will not want that record because he's been demoted as well as promoted. You know, right. He's been in, like, McPhee has raced 125s. You know what I mean? Like, he's been in Moto3 since the inception. He should, be, he should well have gone up by now. So to have him at 27, 28, I felt he was take, almost taking up a seat for an up-and-coming rider. You know, like, Husqvarna had David Salvador in their, in their wings. They could easily approve on that bike if the age limit was twenty five. It's, I just I think twenty five should be the upper limit, just because of preventative measures to stop others coming in. Just because you can bring money. Yeah, and anymore the talent pool is getting so much younger and younger. So mm. there, there are so many good riders that. Young that are coming above the Moto Three uh, level, so it's really what what's the what's the point to having older people in there that are performing less well than all these younger guys? Yeah, just because they bring a quarter of a million dollars shouldn't yeah. mean they get to keep their seat at twenty seven, twenty eight. Right. I I don't know why it's twenty eight. It is such a weird number to start with. You know, like. It's it, it's not round. It's not a five. Like it. What what, what were they thinking? Like it's just right. baffling, man. Yeah, I I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Uh, I know I've seen on social media some people saying like, "Well, it's a world championship. It's not supposed to be a feeder series. It is its own world championship. So why should there be an age limit?" It, you know, it, it's basically, you might as well treat it as a feeder series. You know, like if you win uh, Formula 3, an F3 world champion or a championship or an F2 world championship, well, you don't go up to F1 as a world champion. Mm. Where like yeah. in MotoGP, if you win Moto3 or Moto2, you go up to MotoGP, you've, you're a two-time world champion. Yeah, and yeah, I think that does actually need to follow F1's route. Uh, F1's lead for that because not only should it it is a world championship don't get me wrong same as F3 mm-hmm. and F2 like you're going to put it on your CV if you've won it right. of course you will but if you win F3 and F2 you can't return the next year right and I think there does need to be a little more of that because then you've got the carrot of a winner will will go up 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, someone is going to pick you up if you win the championship, rather than, oh, I can just scrape another year because I brought money, even though I maybe not didn't have my best season kind of thing. Right. This, I think the, the feeder class is an F1. MotoGP could learn a lot from it. Like, there's certain things that MotoGP do that are better than F1 and F, uh, F2 and F3. And, you know, like, it, they're very different sports, but the result is the same, and you should be using them as stepping stones like F2 and F3. Right. Yeah, and as, as Jacob said, that, yeah, you're still a world champion in F2, or not, I'm sorry, not F2, in Moto3, you're still a world champion when you win, but it's, it is really a stepping stone to get to Moto2 or MotoGP, because where are other riders coming? There's no other series, really, that they're coming to. Other mm. series come to Moto3 and Moto2, but there's not really any side uh, action coming to MotoGP. They're all coming up through the ranks, really. Mm. Right. Yeah, you, like you could see, you know, in F1, um, someone like Colton Herta has been, you know, rumored to be trying to get to F1, you know, from IndyCar. You mm. see, like, that sideways movement, but you don't see, like, you know, Cambobier going straight into MotoGP. No, he had to go to Moto2 and try to work his way up. Yes, that's it. It's, it's, yeah. it's Superbikes, especially, is <laughs> a backwards move for the equivalent class. Like, if you, if you go from Moto3 to SSP300, that means, for all intents and purposes, you're a failed Moto3 rider. Right. If you go to SSP from Moto Two, it means you didn't make the grade in Moto Two, and we've seen some truly brilliant riders go into SSP and win it. You know, like Domi Agda is going to win it this year. He was a right. fine Moto Two rider, but he was never a world class Moto Two rider. Baldassari was a world class Moto Two rider until they decided to change the tires, and he fell off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. It's it's all a case of. MotoGP's classes are the pinnacle, but you should never think that Moto3 is your be-all and end-all. Like, if you were a kid, you might dream of winning the Moto3 title, but you don't mm-hmm. stop there. Right. That would be a complete lack of ambition, and, you, and if you thought like that, you probably never would win a Moto3 title. Absolutely. Right. Uh, um, so something we do around here is we do riders of the day. So Matt, we'll start with you. Who's your rider of the day for Moto Three? It's it's hard to say anyone other than McPhee, but I I would really like to say someone else just because I'm sure uh, Jacob would like to say it. Um, it wasn't for me actually. <laughs> okay, I'd like to say I was probably most disappointed for because that was just. That was just a shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll I'll go ahead and steal McPhee for for the day because as we already said that was just a crazy impressive ride, especially right. to do in Moto Three. Mm. For me, it was Diogo Moreira. Oh, like oh. people forget, he's like still a rookie, and he mm-hmm. moved from a Honda to a KTM for his rookie season. So right. he, he's equaled his best result in Sepang a fifth. For me, he's he could well be a title contender next year if he irons up the mistakes. He's just 
just a seriously impressive rider. Like we all knew he had talent, even in the Monlau and Chev. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he hopped onto a KDM, he's been different gravy. And it's between him, uh, David Munoz, and Don- Danny Holgado for the Rookie of the Year title going into the final race. No coincidence, they're all rookies on KDMs. Yeah. Um, see, I've, I've been deliberating over who I wanted to pick. And I think I'm going to pick John McPhee also. Uh, it, to, to, to look at the 22nd to first. Yeah. You know, like on paper, it's incredible. And like you look at his past results, you, you know, some people forget he was out for what, five races with a injury early on this season. So to finally see him and like he's aging out after Valencia. To go out like this, you know, this is kind of like Rins at Australia. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's almost like a Cinderella story. It's like, yes, one one final win. You know, yeah. it's a feel-good story. Yeah, it is. Indeed. It's just, but the thing is, it's like, it's almost where McPhee should be. You know, right. Based on his experience and his talent over the past few years. It's not a surprise to see him where he is, kind of thing. But then at the same time, four wins in two hundred races, it kind of is a surprise as well. It's he's a he's a real enigma, McPhee, because mm-hmm. he's he's simultaneously impressive and disappointing. It's, he's a weird one. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, looking at the standings, we all know how this wrapped up. He's Angavara, still your champion. After mm-hmm. last week in Australia, uh, Sergio Garcia is in second place on 241, and Dennis Foggia is on in third with 233. So there's still a race for who will finish second place in the championship. Yeah. Um, Ayuma Sasaki it gets an honorable mention in fourth. He's on 227. So th- in some weird way, he could still finish second. I, have uh, I think. Notes. I, I think, like he, w- it would take Garcia and Foggia crashing out. Yeah, or, which won't happen at Valencia because Garcia no. is incredible around there, local boy. Right, I, I fully expect Garcia to be challenging for the race win. But you know, we, we've seen him crumble this season under certain points. Could mm-hmm. happen again, but you know, it's not really pressure to finish second, is it? Especially when you know you've got a Pons contract for twenty twenty three. Right, he's not really go into K for another second place. So I just fully expect like this you know, there's a good chance he could even just clear up at Valencia and, and win the race by by miles. Mm-hmm. But uh that'll do it for Moto three. So moving on to Moto two, we had a podium of Tony Arbolino, Alonzo Lopez and Jake Dixon. But I feel we all have to start at Iagura. Uh, because this- I didn't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it sucks, and I, we're going to work through this together. Uh, Iagura crashed out with one lap to go. Battling for the lead with Tony Arbolino and just pushed a little too hard. Yeah. I, uh, I will start off by saying I fully respect Iagura for what he did. 
you know, he, he was not prepared to settle. He wanted to inflict maximum damage to Adiasto Fernandez when he knew Fernandez was having an off day. And the gap was there to be taken. And, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a big send. It wasn't a stupid move. It was just a, a pass with risk at turn nine that, you know, didn't pay off reward. But if he, if it had paid off, he passed Arbolino, gone on to win the race, we'd be talking about how big his kahunas are and how, how he's probably going to be the world champion. So, I... you know, it's, it's, it's a real win. He, he is the epitome of winning or winning this, this weekend. He's the, mm-hmm. like, the serious one of what could have been. Like, he, he's now 9.5 points off Fernandez going into Valencia. Not insurmountable, yep. but it could have been 18.5 ahead. <laughs> you know, when you think about it that way, it's a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, in, in it, it, like he even said it himself throughout the weekend. You know, this he had to, like you said, he had to maximize his points. Because mm-hmm. you know, there was some speculation. Well, is it because he doesn't trust Valencia? He thinks he's going to struggle there, so he was trying to maximize in Malaysia. I think but, yeah. what people forget is that Agura didn't actually race Valencia last year. He's never been there on a Moto2 bike. He was injured oh, last year. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So it, it's even more of an incentive to inflict maximum damage to give yourself the biggest buffer because you know his base setting could be absolute rubbish and he could end up 18th in Valencia. We just don't know because he is a literal unknown quantity. He's mm. never tested there on a Moto2 bike, to my knowledge. He, it's going to be literally uncharted territory for him. It's, it's a big risk. Yeah, and it's you, you know hindsight being twenty twenty. You just wish you could like tell them, don't just wait, be patient. You have a lead, like you know. It, and I think that's what one of the things that you know makes a champion is having that hindsight of, okay, I'm in second. You know, I could go for this move, or I could wait. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna have more points, and try to. At least go in with a lead instead of being in the negative. Yes. And now you're going into a race where, yes, it's an unknown quantity, but at least you go in with a lead, and Augusto has to work that much harder. Mm, that's it. Versus, well, he has the lead going in. All he has to do is just finish better. But the other thing I think went through a guru's mind is that he has a contract for Moto 2 next year. He's going to get another shot at this. Why not send it? Fernandez will not get another chance at winning this Moto2 title because he's going up. Augusto gets a chance to right the wrongs next year. It's going to be infinitely more difficult because, you know, a fit Pedro Acosta, Ezen Guevara coming in could do bits. No, Dixon's going to be there. A Reynas on Ayo. It's, it's going to be a harder championship to win. So I think that was in the back of his mind as well. Yeah, why not? Go into next year's championship on top. I mean, yeah. be be the man to beat. Yeah, he, he he is the favorite going into next year, just based on this season. Because oh yeah, but, one of these mm-hmm. two is going to win the title. Why and, not compound it with a championship, though? Yeah, like you know, he, he, he could absolutely afford to take a risk because he's safe in the knowledge he gets another chance next year. Augusto doesn't have that that uh, almost comfort buffer. You know, he was rattled when Dixon was putting moves on him. He's <laughs> clearly feeling the pressure. 
Which, yeah, that's something else we got to talk about. You know, Augusto and Dixon, because Dixon finishes third place, Augusto finishes fourth. And I was listening to uh, the Paddock Pass podcast today, and they kept bringing up 2015, the race that shall not be named. Yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but, like, I didn't sign up I, for this. <laughs> I didn't. I don't. I don't remember if it was David Emmett or Neil Morris, but like somebody made the the comparison of watching Dixon and Fernandez was like watching Rossi and Marquez. With how? Yeah, honestly, because. But I I have the opinion that with or without Fernandez, Dixon was going to make every single one of those corners. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. He wasn't trying to mess Fernandez up. He was literally on his line. They were harsh moves, but I don't think they were over the line. Right. Not like Morbidelli, which we'll get to later. But yeah. you know, it's I, I think they were all perfectly fair moves. Mm-hmm. Hard but fair, but at the end of the day, you know, Dixon has no loyalty to Fernandez. He has no loyalty to KDM. He's on a gas gas, which I mean it is a KDM, but it's not, you know. He's right. only out to look after himself. And that's how it should be. Like, you know, he, he's not going to step aside for Fernandez just because he's fighting for a title. That's just mm-hmm. not the way you ride in Moto2. Because if you do that, you've already lost. Like, they were, they were bumping and there was contact, but nothing untoward for me. Like, Dixon would have made every single one of those corners. He didn't use Fernandez as a boom. I see absolutely no issue with it, and I don't see why it's being made such a big deal of, to be perfectly honest. I just think it it comes down to the track and you start seeing contact between two close riders and every you know, being at Malaysia, people immediately go back 2015. Yeah, but I think the difference between 2015 is it was deliberate Yeah, between both parties. Whereas this one was just hard, hard but fair racing. Mm-hmm. And if, if this is anywhere near the level of 2015's aggression, then we might as well just pack up and go on because MotoGP world's gone fucking mental. <laughs> Simple as. Yeah, Matt, any thoughts? Um, <laughs> I was trying to stay away from the 2015 talk because I had seen <laughs> some of the same stuff floating around you were just mentioning, but uh, yeah, like Jacob said, if we're getting to that level of aggression, you're probably great racing and all but at the same time it's it's ugly business yeah it's it, it's a weird comparison whenever i was listening i heard them say that i'm like what like, because how do you... yeah just because oh we're back in malaysia you start seeing two riders bump each other and everybody immediately goes back 2015 it's like yeah it's low-hanging fruit you know right be better it's that simple <laughs> be better like, but, if this had happened in Catalonia, they would not make that comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, couple talking points out there. Uh, yeah, Agur crashing out. Yeah, we have Chalestino Vietti. I, I, I really feel this kid just wants to pack up, go home, and be like, I'll see you all in 2023. Have a nice day. Yeah, since, since the summer break, he's been a different writer and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it Pre-summer break, he was probably the title favourite. No, I, I at the start of the season on the EMR podcast, I put him as the title winner. Right. And up until the summer break, I was feeling quite smug. But 
after the summer break, I, I don't know what the hell happened to him. But yeah, I don't really it, know what to say about that either. Like he, you know, it's like what what's broken in his brain to make him such a different rider? Like it, it can't be pressure because he crashed out of a couple before. Like everybody's been properly inconsistent in this championship, apart from Agura, but he's not consistently won. So you know, it, this was a golden opportunity for Viadi because you know, next year he's probably going to be seventeenth, ninth. And instead, he's decided to stack it in six out of seven races after the summer break. Like that ain't that ain't it, Chief? Yeah, you're and you're not going to take any championships like that. It's just you, you have to have a little bit more consistency than just DNF and wins. Yeah, like he's mm-hmm. going to be properly relieved that he's going to be kept by VR46. Well, not VR46, Fantic. And to a lesser point, so is his teammate Antonelli, but, you know, we were touting uh, Vietti for that second Aprilia seat before the summer break. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine it now? He's nowhere near it. No. No, there's levels to this, and if he... If he'd even, you know, taken fourth, fifth, sixth, he'd probably still be in the title fight right now. But instead, he's crashing out of ninth, tenth, eleventh. Like, come on, man. Maybe. I mean, looking at the standards, he's in fifth place on 165. Fernandez is in first on 251. Mm. Yeah, if, he, if he at least finishes some of those races in the points. That's it. Like, oh, it would be a totally different he, story if it was just mm-hmm. bad days and not not total crashes out. Yeah, like it's six out of seven races. What's that? 550, 7,500. That's 150 points gone, potentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's a lot to give away. Like, a lot. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Like, I, I don't know what... Like, what he did in Sepang, I will defend him on this. It's so easy to do, as I said in Boca 3. Crashing at that final corner, you know... Mm-hmm. Better riders than him have done it. He won't be the first. He will not be the last. But it was a pattern, not a one-off. Right. Yeah, so for rider of the day, we'll start with you, Jake. What you got? I read Philip Salach. Okay. He, um, he was riding a hurt. He injured his hand in a pre-practice crash. Fell back. And recovered all the way up to 11th. He was 10th at one point, but ended up 11th. Mm-hmm. He's starting to become a complete Moto2 article now. And it's not going to take much. But saying that, I will say it was very close between him and Manu Gonzalez. Because both are rookies, both are coming on leaps and bounds. Seriously impressive, and they, they could be set for some very good 2023s, both of them. Yep. Matt, who are you going with? It went with Gonzalez. I mean, it's his best finish. He just rode so strong and was very good. Mm. It's, uh, it, was, it was very impressive. I, um, I, I think Gonzalez, though, it could have been even better. I don't know what he was doing to that tire. But he was the only rider in the field on the hard rear. And somehow mm. his tyre went first. Like, there was no grip out there. So maybe that has something to do with it. But you would have expected him to have a little more tyre. 
and come next year at this t- this point with more experience, I couldn't see him making the same mistake again. He would have tire at the end of this race in 2023. Right. Yeah, so I'm going to take, and it, it's been something I've been hyping on for, you know, the second half of the season. I'm going to take Alonzo Lopez because any rider who's putting a Boscus Guerrero on the cha- on the podium mm. d- deserves honorable mention, like, or d- deserves rider of the day. I mean, yes, at this point, we've seen him, we've seen him win races. We've seen him be on the podium multiple times. But it's still, you look at even the the first half of the season, you were seeing a, either a Boscoscuro, you know, low down on the standings, or you were seeing it in that little, you know, not classified section mm. because they right. were always crashing out. So to see one consistently towards the top, I mean, he is doing stuff with that bike that is just not done before. Yeah. Uh, I, can you imagine if he'd had a preseason on top of that and oh. a full season? Because uh, what I was one of the main points which I think people are missing is look at Firmin Aldeguer at the start of the season. Strong at Qatar, extremely mm. strong at Argentina, strong at Cota, even strong at Jerez. It sort of all went a bit downhill then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is potentially 75 to 100 points that Alonso Lopez could have taken at the start of the season that he is missing off his tally. Yep. No, he, he, he's, in, he's rookie of the year, and he missed six races. Mm-hmm. Like, if he had had a preseason and a full season, I think we'd be talking about him as world champion right now. Oh, it, it would have been nuts, at least close, anyhow. Mm. Like, the Boss Guru is... It's a it's a lesser chassis than the Kalex in that the operating window is a lot slimmer. But Lopez seems to have found the base setting that makes that operating window work. Mm. Which is you know, it's a massive thing for a Bosco because Kalex are dominated. You know, Aaron Canet um, probably looking at that bike now thinking, oh shit, I should have stayed on it. But instead he's on the a Kalex, which is easy to ride, easy to set up, but everybody else is on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the the Boscoscaro can almost make a difference, especially in low grip. But to find the operating window where it works everywhere, that's something special. What he's done, right? Yeah. So looking at the uh, standings, we've got Augusto Fernandez in the lead on two hundred fifty-one point five points. Iger in second on 242. And that's really where we can stop. Aaron connects 42 points back. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a two horse race going into Valencia. I, I, I all like they were saying about during the race, Iger basically had four fingers on the trophy. And y- you have to think going in, Iger now has. At least three fingers on it. It's possible. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not MotoGP, which we'll get to in a bit. It's not that level of impossible. Yeah. It wouldn't be like absolutely nothing, really. You know, a win for Agura, a fourth for Fernandez will be enough. It's not like 
he needs Fernandez to finish fifteenth, and and Fernandez is going to be champion. It's everything to play for, right? But beating Fernandez in Spain when he has the lead of the world championship, tough, but yeah. not impossible. Crazier things have definitely happened than if mm. Gura took the championship. It's like, definitely not. It, it's one of those way. where I don't think you'd be surprised if either won, because both scenarios are extremely viable. Right. Like, you know, if, if Aaron Cannett somehow recovered a 42 points with 25 on the table, that's impossible. Right. 9.5 points is not. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, it's one of those races you look at, and it, it could go either way. Uh, you know, a uh, 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 miss... Uh, trying to think of the right word here. A uh, mischoice of tire can easily sway this one way or another. Well, it's Valencia. You know, weather's never the kindest thing. It's always cold. Yeah. You know, one misstep in free practice could win you this title. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. And I think the only disadvantage Aguru has is that he's not been there. Right. I think that's literally the only thing that separates them. But then, like... Look at look at Valencia. It's a weird place. Like it's cold. It's like a go kart track. The MV Augusta works there. You know, <laughs> it's it's it could easily just be Agura comes in, perfect base setting, clears off twenty seconds up the road, job done. But on the flip side, he could quite easily cock it up and be eighteenth. It's it's such a weird place, and I would I love Valencia with all my heart, but I would not want to go into a title fight there. <laughs> Especially in the position Agura's at, you know, yeah. you would much rather go in where. where I think Agura's in the better place. What's he got to lose? You know, send it. Oh yeah, and the... Fernandez has way more to lose. And right. if he goes in there right without feeling pressure, the man is invincible. But I fully expect to see Fernandez nervous, riding tight, fifth, sixth, seventh. But that might be enough because Agura may not be anywhere near him. So it's a really intriguing title fight, this one. And I think both would be deserving winners because of the streaks they've put together, whether it be wins or just points finishes consistently. Mm. You know, we can only have one winner, but if my heart says Agura, head says Fernandez. It's that simple. Yeah, so that will do it for Moto2. Uh, moving on to MotoGP, we have a podium of Pecco Benyaya, Anea Bastianini, and Fabio Quattararo. And where do you want to start with this race? Because there are so many places we could go with this. Well, I think it's fair to start with Pecco because okay. he's basically sealed the title. I, I think... Damn. I think even if he could potentially not turn up a Valencia and still win it, because I can't see Fabio winning that race. Okay. Like, the gap now is 23 points. Right. You know, if Fabio has to win, like, there's no other way. He has mm -hmm. to win, and Peko has to DNF. I can see one of those two things happening, not both. I was like, going to say, I do not see Fabio winning. 
I definitely yeah. see the possibility of Pecco crashing out with the pressure on like that, even though he kind of knows there's not exactly pressure. Because as you said, Fabio has to win and he has to crash. That's mm-hmm. I, I could definitely see uh, Pecco crashing. Look at last year. That that's what I would say. Look at the bikes that finished on the podium last year. All Ducatis. Mm-hmm. Their first ever lockout in MotoGP. The bike works around Valencia. Now there's eight of them that Fabio has to fight. And you know, they're all pretty good. There's not a not yeah. really a bad one out there. Well, seven out of eight of them have a pole position this year. And weirdly, the only one is not Luca Marini. Like. Who'd you put money on that? No, like Bez could easily win the race. Bastianini will probably beat Fabio. You know, it's oh, just, yeah. Marini will probably beat Fabio, honestly. And then you've got the Suzuki's, Mark Marquez. You know, Fabio, Fabio could probably hope for fifth at best, in my opinion. If, if he's top five, that will ha- he will have put on one hell of a race. Yeah, but top five ain't enough. I, and I think he. I think he knows that it's done. Like, there's short of like, you know, an EMP disabling all the Ducatis and nobody else. <laughs> and where his headspace is, because he's such a, a mental driven rider, I just don't yeah. think. I, I think he turned a corner at Sapan, mind you, because that was a, you know, he, he is a world champion. We shouldn't forget that. And that was a champion's right to get third. Oh, but absolutely. What he did was. Not in the realms of possibility, but when Pego's winning the race, it's not enough. And they, I, I genuinely don't believe Fabio could have extracted a single second more out of that bike than he did. What he right. did was just like he, he is super lucky in a way that he's on the Yamaha because if he had crumbled mentally like he has in these flyaways on a capable bike. I think he would be scrutinized a lot more harshly. But because we know he's basically gone to a gunfight with a with a knife. Mm-hmm. And he's Yeah, like you know, it's one of those prop ones in films that just sink into into itself. <laughs> You're right. Like what, what he's done is nothing short of miraculous. But it just ain't enough. Mm-hmm. And I I don't see why the pressure has affected him. I say that like in the loosest sense possible. Because he's already overachieving. No, he, he, the fact that he's in the title fight come Valencia is genuinely a miracle. Like, oh, yeah. There's no other way to put it. It, it is a, a literal MotoGP miracle. That bike should not be anywhere near a title fight. If he somehow does win and Pecco crashes and takes the title... It, he probably just needs to retire because there's no way he could do any more work than what he had put in this season. Yeah, it's like next year, next year he's going to be better off. You know, Yamaha found some power, but he mm-hmm. still seems to handle. Mobidelli seemed to have found something, albeit not his brains, <laughs> but it seems to have found something in terms of style. Mark Marquez will be back next year. He's going to have a lot more tools to fight the Ducatis. So if he doesn't win this year, I don't think there's any shame in that whatsoever. Yeah, it's... He, he's worked so... like I, I always go back to, in MotoGP, it's the rider more the bike. 
And I feel like Fabio this season has proved that more because like you said, he brought a plastic knife to a gunfight and has, you know, put the, you look at where everybody, all the other Yamahas have finished. Mm. I mean, look, Looking at the championship, the next closest Yamaha, I'm still scrolling, hold on, is 19th place. Yep. Like, like, it requires a certain way of riding that none of the current Yamaha riders can do. Mm-mm. You know, it's a very aggressive bike now, which is, is not the Yamaha way. And only Fabio has been able to adapt to that. But nonetheless, he's had no backing and has put together a hell of a championship. But when it mattered most, he crumbled. And that's his problem. He's like he's a very emotional rider, Fabio. If like if this was Mark Marquez, I don't think he'd have cracked. Put it that way. Well robots can't cry. <laughs> but uh the other, yeah, the, and the reason I asked you know, where you wanted to start, yeah, I. Another point was Anea Bastianini in this race. Hmm. He, he even said that. that there was no team orders. You know that he, you know I think. Um, well, he still I heard the title one, fight, so there, there was not going to be any team orders. You know, he, he still had mm-hmm. a, an outside chance of winning this title. It's, it's gone if, now. Yeah. Yeah. If like, there were like, team orders, he did a great job of hiding it. Being what was it? how close behind was he? <laughs> yeah, like it's, that's. I he thought finished. it was going to be the other way around, honestly. And Pecco was going to take Bastianini out, not vice versa. Yeah. Oh, really? Because they were racing so close. That that one bit mm-hmm. of T nine where Pecco nearly smashed into the back of him, I was like, oh. God, that that wasn't go. like just playful riding back and forth. That was some serious aggression. Yeah. But um. To hear Bastianini say, I couldn't beat him, that mm-hmm. was big. Like, that was, I don't think enough spotlights on that. That was huge. Because if that's going to be his teammate next year. Yeah. Is it now Pecco with the upper hand? Maybe. I mean, you know, by saying that, you've. I mean, I, and I wonder if he just meant he couldn't beat him here. Because yeah, he's I'm sure he did. Uh, you know, and I don't think he'd want to. Right. I don't think he'd want to go into like give Pecco the leverage of well, I, I just can't beat him. Period. Mm. You know, because at that point you're like you're giving him all the power going into next season. Yes, and, that's it. Yes. I, I, you know, what my point is that I was very surprised to hear Bastianini say that he couldn't beat him because. He could easily have said, oh, just decide to stay behind for the championship because right. I realized I was going to be out of it. You know, and, and we would have believed him because mm-hmm. why wouldn't you, you know? Right. But instead, to hear him outright admit that he couldn't beat Pecco at a place, that's big because in straight fights this season, it's been very balanced. And mm-hmm. Bastianini didn't say that at Mizano when Pecco beat him. But to hear him say it, you, I think is, it's, it's, it's either Bastianini put him into a false sense of security, or he genuinely 
thinks he's got he, he can beat him next year regardless of where he says. Because as a racer, you should never ever admit defeat. Right. No. It's it's a very interesting point to hear him say that. Like you could see Bastian didn't have it against Peko like at Sepang. He just didn't. But you should never say it. Right, because uh, like I said, you're almost you, you you give away that it not you don't give away your edge, but you almost like put a little chink in the armor. Yeah, it, it's a, some way to attack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, and racers are just absolute bastards, and they will exploit any sign of vulnerability that they see. Yep, because if you don't attack, you will be attacked. It's, it's what made Mark Marquez so good, is that mm-hmm. where did you see any chink in his armour? From 2016 to 2019, that man was invincible. No matter mm-hmm. what Ducati threw at him, no matter what Dovi threw at him, no matter what Vinales threw at him. You know, it's, it's even Jorge Lorenzo on a Ducati couldn't beat him. And that's, that's what none of these title contenders have. Well, there are chinks in all their armours. That's why mm-hmm. I don't even think when Mark does his little uh, following other riders, I don't even think it's he's watching the other riders. I think it's he's just trying to get into their heads. I think that's 100% oh, yeah. a mental game. It's not to see what they can do because he can go back and watch that on the replays and see how riders are riding. It's mm-hmm. all about just putting the Jaws music behind everyone, trying to make them get a get yeah. a little wound up and make, because, make a mistake. Like, if there's one thing you don't want to turn around and see, it's an Orange 93 in your face. Yep. But if, say, Fabio was following you, or Pecco was following you, they don't strike that same fear. Like, they don't worry you. Like, no. But Mark no. Marcus does. <laughs> Even after no. everything that's happened with him, it still is a, a feared number to see on the pit board. Right. Now, at some point, do you feel that they could get to that level? Like, if they... I don't think they... I mean, nobody's going to dominate like Mark Marquez did in the past. But if they maybe rambled off another... You know, if Peko wins this championship, maybe wins another one or two. Do you think at that point you're going to look back at 60... or Yeah, the 63 and be like, Oh shit! No, um, I mean a little bit. I mean to behind, say a, a rookie or somebody newer, anyhow, possibly so. But it's that is kind of what's missing is the like Mark's name's so feared because of his reputation. Not very many mm-hmm. writers have just this massive reputation behind them. It's just that's yeah. kind of how it is. Like look, Mark Marquez is not your friend. Mark Marquez right. would sell his own grandmother for a race win. <laughs> Whereas Peko and Fabio are f- they're friendly. They are, you know, they sh- they shake hands, they laugh with each other. I don't think they have the killer instinct either of them to be anywhere close to Mark Marquez. Like for me I said it on the EMR pod, and I will reiterate it. I think Peko is the fourth best rider in that in that field next year. I, really? I can see three other people beating him next year. 
Mark Marquez, Alicia Spargro, and Anea Bastianini. I think this year is going to be as good as it gets for Pedro. Right. Yeah, I I think you got yeah a, a, a healthy Mark Marquez coming back. You know, it, it's going to be. I'm more, I'm more wondering uh, yeah, how will the Honda be? Better now with that KLX swing arm. It's a transformed bike, mm-hmm. and yeah. Mark Marquez can now ride that bike. Right, like Mark Marquez could win on a Vespa, <laughs> but probably. To that, but to get that KLX swing arm and already use it, so there's already development going into it. Mm-hmm. Honda, Honda are never away for long. They are too big to fail, and right. they will not fail for long. They'll be back very, very soon, probably even next year. And we know Mark Marquez can win on a subpar bike, but that's the difference between him and Fabio, is he's won on some absolute pigs of Hondas, with a Ducati breathing down his neck that was clearly a superior machine. Mm-hmm. Fabio's not managed to do it. Yeah. And it, it yeah, sounds yeah. like I'm criticizing Fabio. I'm not. Because my point is that nobody, nobody, now the only two I could see even coming close to Mark Marquez's level are Pedro Acosta and Isan Guevara as his stance. Forget about Lopez, that, maybe. Give him enough time. Like, just based on what I've seen right now, there are only two who could reach that special level. Right. Like talent wise and head wise. Because Fabio is as talented as Mark Marquez. Peco is as talented as Mark Marquez. But they don't have the package Mark Marquez does in terms right. of invincibility. Yeah. Um real quick I want to touch on Marco Bedzecki who tied wrapped up the rookie of the year championship. Mm-hmm. He finishes five seconds off of Peco. Only about like less than two seconds off of Fabio. I I was really hoping towards the end of this that he was gonna catch Fabio. At, at certain points, it looked like he would. I think if if Bedecki catches Quattararo, it completely changes that third place battle. Like if if Bedecki manages to catch Fabio. I think that's the biggest talking point of this race. Yes, but unfortunately, as we've seen with riders who are following as a theme throughout this season, tire pressure goes up, you lose the grip, mm-hmm. you have to fall back. You know, he, he caught up to within 0.2 seconds of Fabio at one point. Yep. If he had just managed to stick his nose in, he would have gone past him and ultimately would have cleared off. Because right. Fabio did not have the Bezeki's pace up until he got close to him. No, Fabio's Fabio, lucky. Yeah, Fabio's tire yeah. pressure would have gone up. And as we see, yep. the Yamaha is absolute dog water in a pack. You know, mm-hmm. that, that would have been tight over. It's that simple. But Fabio did just enough to hold him off, which is very impressive considering he was holding off a Ducati. But again, it's a rookie on a Ducati. You know, that, that little intricacies that you learn in your rookie season. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hold off next year's Bezeki, put it that way. 
Right. And that's, uh, I think, uh, it's a perfect point to bring up Franco Morbidelli. <laughs> I mean, what, like, I don't even penalty, know where to start. First and foremost. Oh, yeah. Move on a leash. 100% did the penalty. Unlike Dixon and Fernandez, if Alicia had not been there, Morbidelli would have been in the gravel. It's that mm-hmm. simple. He used him as a boom. He deserved the penalty he got, despite what everybody says. Oh, Rubin's racing. That wasn't Rubin. That was a torpedo. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's that simple. And he deserved the penalty. But, saying that, how good is it to see Franco Morbidelli fighting again and looking like a racer again? Because we know he's good. You know, he finished second in the world in 2020 on a two-year-old Yamaha. Yep. You know, that, that, that's, not, that's not by luck. But to get to that level again on a totally different bike, because he went from a 2018 bike to a 2021 and then a 2022 mid-season, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It's a lot to take in on a very changed Yamaha that still doesn't have anything stronger. If anything, it's probably a weaker cornering bike. So for, and, for him to find something and actually use it, despite his penalties, and look like a racer again, I was so happy to see it. And you also have to think about all the injuries he's had. You know, mm. he, he, was, he missed how many races with his leg injury? Mm. You know, it, it. it almost seemed like he came he came back early and was still trying to like dealing with it while he was also trying to get a hold of the bike again. Yeah, it, it. It, it, it's just it's hard enough to learn a new type of bike developed right. for someone else after coming back from injury, let alone dealing with an injury too. Mm-hmm. You know, like Yamaha of Fallen into Honda's trap of pinning all their hopes on one rider, and as we've right. seen with Honda, it doesn't work. It's, it's a bad spot to get into. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. You, you know, can you can keep feeding to that one rider and make them better, but it really puts you on the back for uh, anyone else trying to get in because there is a point where Mark will leave Honda and a point where Fabio will leave Yamaha. You can't, yeah, but- and then they they're basically back at zero. Like, if imagine they, if Fabio had signed a contract to ride for Ducati in 2023. Where would Yamaha be then? Right. Starting over. They, they yeah. might as well just keep Darren and Crutchlow riding those bikes and keep developing it. It's but Then they've lost the guy who they developed the bike for. You know, it's, well, it doesn't it's work. Just... You need to make a rider-friendly bike, and that's where I think Aprilia mm-hmm. next year are going to be in great shape. Because oh, yeah. not only are they gaining two more riders with RNF, they're gaining two more riders who are, have been on a different philosophy in the mm-hmm. KDM. You know, steel frames, WP suspension, both of those things are not going to be on the RNF. They're going to have a unique perspective on development. And Aprilia right. clearly is an, a nice bike to ride. Like, no MotoGP bike is easy, so I'm not going to say easy. They're clearly nice bikes to ride. They corner, they go fast in a straight line. They're everything you want from a race bike. And then to have two more developing, it's going to be, it can only benefit them. They can only get better. Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying about, you know, what happens if Fabio were to leave? I mean, look what happened in 2020 to Honda. Mark breaks his arm and that team falls off the face of the earth. 
Yep. And they yeah. have to radically change their philosophy for 2022, bring mm-hmm. basically a 90% new bike, and it still isn't right. Right. Can, can Yamaha afford to not be in the title fight till 2026, say, if Fabio had left in 2023? I don't think they could, because they, no. they they, they've not got the Cloud Honda go. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where you just you, you look at their, like how Honda did it, and now they're trying to fix it, and how Yamaha's done it. And then yeah. you look at other teams like Ducati, who have not really built a bike for everybody, because not everybody can ride that Ducati. Yeah, we, we've seen that in the past. And but David Leash this year, actually, mm-hmm. they probably have built the best all round bike because we are seeing rookies perform on it. Yeah. That's and true. We're seeing rookies perform on it. We're gonna see probably the title winner ride it well. And we're seeing riders who have gone from a previous generation to a current generation, or, well, you know, from a GP19 to a GP21, win races on it. So I mm-hmm. think as a rounded package this year, Ducati have probably built the bike. Right. You know, that, that's not been the case for, but probably ever. Because there's always been, since they come in, there's always been one rider who can ride it, and the rest are just sort of there or thereabouts. Yeah. But now you're seeing every Ducati, whether it be a GP21 or a GP22 or the 22.5 in terms of the factory boys, everybody can ride it and ride it well, ride it fast, and put themselves in the mix for being talked about as a top 10 rider. <laughs> That's never happened before. Yeah. And then you look at, yeah, the Aproya, the Aproya has come has made leaps and bounds yeah. as far as developing a bike. Like you said, they're getting RNF next year. They're getting two riders on that team who can help develop that bike even more. Yes, they've made the smartest signings of 2023, in my opinion, RNF. Oh, yeah. Because they've got an experienced Moto, MotoGP rider in Miguel Oliveira. Yep. And they've also got a fresh MotoGP rider in Ralph Fernandez who... Both will have different, unique perspectives on what a bike should be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, they've made... They're more Honda, because for Honda to have acquired both Suzuki boys, that's also extremely smart. But yeah, yeah, for me, it's R&F of hold a blinder. Simple as. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick... Uh... Got to give an honorable mention to Luca Marini, whose streak of finishing every race he's been in since so being in MotoGP, and yeah. and to watch it like it was a technical issue. Yep, and like, the yeah. irony is <laughs> that he will not have that issue next year because they're taking the front hole shot devices off. Yep. So for that streak to end two races before they're about to be thrown away, yeah, it's just cruel in the extreme. Oh yeah, it, it's. I, I'm happy those are going away, mm. just because yeah we we've seen the issues with them. Yeah, we've seen. Yeah, did it help the racing a bit? Yeah, maybe. Did they cause more problems than they benefited from? Yeah, oh yeah. Like yeah, in you, motocross, they make a perfect amount of sense because 
you know, they almost can't fail. And if they do, you just rip the fork guard off. Right. But on a MotoGP bike, it ain't the same. Zarco's not been running it all year. And it shows because they are clearly a worse bike off the start without that whole shot device. Mm -hmm. But when everybody's in the same part, you know, everybody's going to be in the same boat in 2023, it doesn't matter. I mean, I I absolutely hated the front shot device. I hated it. I'm glad it's going. Yeah. And and how many times did you see a rider come to the grid? You you saw it. Um, I forget which free practice session it was this past weekend, where a leash couldn't activate his. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 yeah. he, he comes up to the practice the front down. And, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he comes up to the practice start. He he doesn't trigger it, and he's sitting there jumping on it. He has to back the whole bike up just to try to activate this thing. Get it? I mean. I, I'm happy it's going away. I, yeah. I, I like as we you know. as we saw today, ninety nine percent of your race, well, not today, but you know what I mean. Like it's a pack. Right. Ninety nine percent of your race is the start because, like a Peco, you know, he, he won that race in the first couple of hundred meters. But you can't make something that has such a high failure rate for what it is, mm-hmm. because I. I'd be much happier to lose two tenths of a second off the start rather than a failure. You know, You're right. it's that simple. Like it, it, the the risk outweighs the reward too much in terms of the development side for those front hole shot devices. Mm-hmm. Like in principle, fantastic idea. Execution, <laughs> four out of ten. If, if you think about it, really, what they they got pushed so quickly because. Ducati came out with theirs, and then everyone else kind of rushed to make one, and right. they they weren't very good. If if they would have spent, if all the teams would have spent more time developing them and actually making them good, you know, they might work and be a great advantage to have. But now they're banned, so they yeah. just they're not going to take any MotoGP. Yep, they're Ducati just never going to get developed. <laughs> and then the rest of the teams think, "Ooh, we need to do that." Yeah, they they just got pushed in way too quickly. I have no doubt that there's a way they can engineer them to become better and let more fail proof. Not well, maybe not a hundred percent, but they can't just GPS use them. You know, like they, there's absolutely no reason they can't make an electronic one. Yeah, I, I've not GPS. understood that either. Like. But because it technically would be banned under the rules as an electronic movable device. Yeah, but they can uh, they can adjust like the torque curve corner per corner in the bike mm-hmm. just based on the position in the track. Like what's yeah, but, really but the... not not through GPS, it has to be done manually. That's the Yeah. Issue. Yeah. But <laughs> like, still... I, I think if if someone in MotoGP came in and said, Oh, this a we're going to let you use these front hole shot devices electronically, but they switch off after the start. No other movables. Then the issue comes in of, oh, well, if it's allowed on the start, maybe we can develop it to just around, you know, here and there. So I think they've made the correct call in just completely removing them. It's one yeah. less thing, one less issue, one less gray area, one less problem to have to face. Yeah. So, uh, rider of the day, uh, I'll go first on this one. I'm going to take Bedzaki. 
I think, you know, to he, yes, he finished fourth. He was five seconds off, but he was also six seconds ahead of Renz in fifth place. Yeah. And was battling with that group while Marquez was holding him up. As soon as he mm-hmm. passed him, he, he went off like, you know, like they were stood still. Yep. And this is a rookie. So, yeah, I, I, I love Bez. I love Bez. He's he's special. I'm I'm so excited to see what he does next season. Now that he has a full season under his belt, uh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I really think quite he's interesting. gonna. Yeah, yeah. I really think he's gonna do something special. I don't like. I don't think he's gonna battle for championships. Maybe podiums. Yeah, more I'm consistently. At least a uh, a solid podium contention in more than one race. Right. Uh, like, he's basically, I imagine he's going to get Peko's bike that he's currently on again because <laughs> his chassis still has PB63 inscribed on it that he's currently <laughs> on. You know, it literally is the thing Peko got off at the end of last year. So I don't see why they want to do that again. And as we've seen, that's a race-winning machine. And yep. Bez, is, Bez is a race-winning machine. I don't see why he couldn't either. So, Jake, who are you taking? Peko for me. Because, yeah. <laughs> well, literally, I don't normally like to pick winners for regular right day. Right. But he quite literally did not put a wheel out of line all race. Mm-hmm. Like, like if, if you look at perfect race, I think it would just be that race. Because not any point was he out of shape. At any point did he miss an apex. You know, with with Bastianini behind him, who's still hungry for a title, no team orders on the line, to soak up that pressure and still be flawless, that is a seriously special ride. Yep. Matt, who are you taking? I have to go with the the other factory Ducati, Jack Miller. Ooh. That was uh, quite an impressive ride, especially out of Jack. Not. Not saying that that's an unusual ride, but at the same time, to fall that far back and to come that far forwards for Jack, that's quite amazing. <laughs> Usually he falls back and kind of gets into his own headspace and just kind of hangs out back there. But right. uh, he, he had quite the impressive comeback. But he shouldn't have been there in the first place, which is why I, no, I but... pick him, you know, especially where he qualified. I, it, it seems to be, I don't know where it is with, with Miller. He's either there's no middle ground with him. He's like a fodger. He's either winning or absolutely useless. There's no in between. But I don't know why he can't find a fifth place. He's a, he's a really weird one for me, Miller. And to be perfectly honest with Miller, this is probably as good as it's going to get. You know, last race is going to be on the Ducati, going to a worse machine. Can't see him being that high on the KDM. Yeah, I agree with that. It's I really didn't want to see him leave the factory because I think the how him and pa- him and Pecco kind of work together. You know, you might not get the best of results out of Miller, but it seems to have drawn some of Pecco's results to be better potentially. Mm. I I think that uh, that well, has yeah, some Pecco knows he can beat him ten times out of ten. That's why you know the confidence that inspires. Whereas Enea's coming in now, and 
you're a little he, more worried then if yeah, you're he's not gonna he's not gonna have it all his own way with Bastianini coming in. And Bastianini was the right choice. Martin can flounce and cry as much as he wants. The fact of the matter is Bastianini has put together a better season, is a better rider than Jorge Martin deserves the seat. Simple. Yeah. That's why I agree with you. I, I think Pecco's best year will probably be this year. I think uh, Bastianini I can't, like, I can't be, see him being top three next year. I think Bastianini will be the, the top Ducati rider next year. I'm he may not Bastianini be for the title next year. I'm going to say it now. Yeah, Ooh, potentially. Damn. Like, and I think he's going to win it by a margin as well. Not just it's not going to come. He'll he'll have it won. You know, if he's going to win it, mm-hmm. he'll have it won by Australia. Really, Bastianini will move. Don't forget, Bastianini is on a brand new team. Yep, on a GP twenty one. We saw it with Petrucci. As soon as he hopped on the red machine, then he started winning. Bastianini's already won on the Grassini bike several times. Mm-hmm. The one percent that you need is a factory team, a factory bike, and the factory mentality. Because you know, suddenly you are the best you are the king you know there's one other guy who the factory have considered as good as you out of billions of people in the world imagine what that's going to do for your confidence and especially as he beat martin to it he beat zarko to it you know it's not like he was the only option he's going to go in next year he's going to be he's going to throw a bomb and he's going to absolutely take the motor gp wheel by storm it's uh I hope you're right. Uh, the only thing, and I don't know, it's just like that playing that devil's advocate of <laughs> at the same time you're going into a team like that, there's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. And, and, like, there are certainly arguments against it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, going it, being with Grassini, it's like, oh, well, it's a new team. He's been with Grassini forever. And there was really no pressure. It was just go out, do what you do try to get the best result you can. And the best result has been wins throughout the season. Well, now next season, he's going into the, one of the top teams, if not the top team, no more. Will it be? We'll just go out and have fun. Just go out and try your best. It's going to be, you go out, you win every race Mm. or you finish on the podium or it's not good enough. The thing is though, Bastianini himself went for this title. He believed he could win this title on that GP21. So mm. I think the pressure was already there, but the infrastructure behind him to take the title wasn't. He didn't have the tools. Right. It's, it's, it's that simple. Like, and there's nothing against Grassini because, you know, they were all learning. Yep. And Ayer himself was learning that GP20 because he came off a GP19, which by all accounts didn't turn half as well as that GP21. You know, he's, he's had to learn a new way of operating with a new team on a new bike that's two generations later. Now, Marini had it worse because he got a bike three generations later with the engine that was unfavoured by the factory. But Inea, though he's going to have the tools now and he will succeed. You know, he, he, he always has succeeded. And he will... I, I would not be surprised to see him win it by 75 points, genuinely. Jeez. Quite the bold well, prediction. Yeah. Well, well somebody who's not... bold, though? That's the thing? Like, it... It's somewhat bold. How often do you see championships being taken by 
75 points, especially not by more. Put it this way. Peko should have won this title by 75 points. Oh, yeah, if he wouldn't have been... If he wouldn't have... It's a better rider than Peko. If Peko's first half of the season hadn't been what it was... Yeah, you know, everyone had him pegged going in as rider champion. Mm-hmm. And then to watch watch him crash so many times in the first half of the season, everyone's like, well, what's wrong with him, yo? At first it was, well, it, you know, they, they made the change to the bike. Yes, um, like you can forgive him early season because they made a last-minute change to a different engine configuration. Not very tested. You would think, you know what, okay, sort of let him off on that. Like, he should still be a good enough rider if he's competing for a title to ride around it. Right. But you can understand, at least. Yeah. But then, yeah. You know, but basically, he's thrown 125 points down the drain this season, and all of them were winnable races. He could easily be a hundred points in front of Fabio, like realistically, without those DNFs. Yeah, and, and instead he's twenty three ahead going into the final race with the possibility of not even winning the title. No, like he hasn't wrapped it up. That is not confidence inspiring for Ducati, and then they will be thinking, "I could have done better than that." Yeah, well, it- somebody who's Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, in the same vein, potential champions for next year. I'm surprised Jacob hasn't mentioned it, but uh, I foresee Maverick Vinales being possibly in the the fight anyhow next year. He I'd is. I'd love to say yes or no, but he still has getting, learning to do. He is learning though, but he has quickly started to learn this year with it. I mm-hmm. I think anyhow. Yeah, like. I wouldn't be at all surprised, but I think he still has, he still doesn't know the intricacies of that Aprilia. And you need to know the intricacies of the bike you're on in order to compete for a title. Like that Ducati, for all I've said about Peko, it is Peko shaped. You know, it's perfect for him. Yeah. It is his bike by, by, like, there's no other way to put it. It's his bike. So, he knows that bike inside out. He knows what it's going to do, when it's going to do it, how it's going to do it, and how it should feel. I think mm-hmm. Vinales still doesn't quite have that how it should feel about the Aprilia. But the good but, news you know, is it is a rider. It is becoming a very rider-friendly bike. They've got new yeah. riders who are going to test on it. They have a whole season of testing coming up. He's yeah, got his first the twenty-three. Year. Won't be amazing, yeah. you know. Like it, in the direction it's going, it, th- that bike could potentially be the best in the but, way it's. Yeah. But and the big but for me on Aprilia, and it's a huge but. You know, it's it's like Kim Kardashian, but <laughs> what it is, they basically are on the exact same bike they started Qatar with. There's been no real development, and that worries me because. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, Aprilia are going to learn from their mistakes this year and they're going to operate better. But I, how are you supposed to learn from your mistakes if you cannot bring something to rectify it? You know, we've seen them test a shed load of things. None of them have ended up on the race bikes. 
You know, we saw like a, a baby spoiler. We've seen downwash ducks. You know, we've seen various front wing configurations. And none of them have ended up on the race bike because they aren't as good. How can Aprilia say, oh, next year's bike is going to be better when the things they bring in is not going on the bike? Yeah, only time will tell. It, it yeah. worries me, to be honest, because I would, you know, I'd love to see Alicia Spargo take a title. Like, Deep in my heart, if like MotoGP would be complete for me, then I love Alish. I think he's, you know, he's he's had the raw end of the stick for nigh on ten years. Never had the bike under him, even at Suzuki. It was still very, very new. Vinales won on it. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a title-winning bike. And then he hopped on the Aprilia. Five years of just pounded sand. And then to take a title to Sepang in 2022, Aleish is just an absolute hero. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this season, Aleish has become like, I want to say everyone's second favorite rider. Well, yeah. But like watching the, <laughs> watching the stuff he's done and just like, like all the work he's put in to finally come to fruition yeah yes. i mean like i i even have him as my background on my laptop yeah he's just do you remember <laughs> last year when he said i think i'm one of the top three riders in the world and everybody laughed yeah nobody's laughing I was, now. Uh, no i i actually put it on my instagram story at the time i was like yeah i agree alish is criminally underrated and there's a lot of people that are trying to forget that comment yeah, and I, I'm a hundred percent sure that Alicia Spargo has the talent level of Mar Marquez. He is one of the top three riders in the world. It's, it's that simple. And honestly, <laughs> last year um, at Silverstone, saw him take that first Aprilia podium in front of my own eyes. I nearly cried, man. It was just I was <laughs> so happy, so happy. Yeah. So. Uh... Somebody who's not going to win the championship by 75 points is Paco Bagnaia this year because he's on 258. Fabio's in second on 235. Um, in third, we've got Aleish on 212 and a Bashaniti on 211. Yes. So there's definitely a title f- or a third place championship fight. Um, it all comes yeah. down to Valencia. Yeah, it's... I don't know who to call for that third and fourth because no. Aleish is excellent around Valencia. Mm-hmm. That Ducati is excellent around Valencia. Bastianini was amazing. And Bastianini on, yep, and yeah. Bastianini on a Ducati around Valencia. Yeah, I, I, I could see him winning the race. Yeah, I, I, I could. You know, you could. You could see Aleish winning it. You could see Maverick Vinales winning it. You could see Pekka winning it. Oh, that'd be something. Mm-hmm. Mar- you can see Mark Marquez winning it, you know what I mean? The only riders yeah. you can't see winning of the top ones are some of the Ducatis and Fabio, like, realistically. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying that about a guy who is going into Valencia in touch of the title, that he is an unrealistic bet for the win. But yeah. that's just how the cookie has crumbled with MotoGP this year. And I, I just, I, I feel awful saying it because I do like Fabio. And he's clearly a, a hell of a rider. Mm-hmm. But the package, just not quite it this year. No. Um, 
yeah, so that'll do it for MotoGP. Um, before we sign off, we're going to go over MotoGP Fantasy real quick. Um, in our Red Sector League, if you guys aren't you know, a part of it, you kind of missed out this season. You feel like joining and doing one race, see how you do. Uh, race to race, you're more than welcome to. Um, for the Malaysian Grand Prix, we had a podium of Nine Toes Racing in first. Second place is Honey's Honey. And our own Bono GP gets third place at the Malaysian GP. He apparently must have actually set his lineup this for this race. Um, for the season, we have a... Uh, for the season championship, our podium is Tex Team on 1,987 points. 46-46 on 1,956 points. And Josh, whose team is Tiger Motorsports, in third on 1,941. So, oh. it's it's close. There's still a chance for the win. Because, you know, Tex Team on 1,987, 46-46 on 1,956. So, there's still a chance. It, it's it's tight. You know, uh, the last Grand Prix, they both, they all were, you know, right around the same amount of points for the race, so. Yeah, I uh, I don't play fantasy myself because it just annoys me too much. So I'm out and of that, this conversation. And <laughs> I just yeah. joined your league, and man, I'm really <laughs> wishing I would have uh, would have joined <laughs> earlier on. I'm sitting at 19, 12 and a half right now. Last Ooh. week, I really shit the bed. It was quite bad. <laughs> uh, well, and like, you look at... Um, like I said, Bono, he's one of those people he'll set like he'll pick a team at the beginning of the season and then he just forgets about it. That's why I do see and then I get annoyed that I'm not winning. It's like Aprilia, you've got to make developments. Yep. That's what I and do with like, my super cross fancies. I just pick one and oh god about it. <laughs> well and like for most of the season, uh Bono had Mark still on his team. He he had forgotten to take. He'd just forgotten to check his team for so long. He still had Mark. You know, <laughs> Josh has sort of been our champion for the podcast. Uh, I'm sitting 45th. I'm on 1583. I just I don't know what the hell I did. I I made some change, and it was funny because in uh, preseason when we were setting up teams, um, Bono l logged on to the account to set up the team it's through me so it was my team he was building but he thought it was his team he was building he, so well no he so he's like oh i didn't realize because i went on and saw he had built a team on my account <laughs> and he's like oh well you're gonna have to delete that i'm like well no i'm not <laughs> Yeah, no chance. Like, oh, well, and I ended up going in. I felt like I ended up going in and changing it because I wanted to make some changes. But like, as I've gone through the season, it, like I made changes I wish I wouldn't have because looking back, like I had a Proya as my manufacturer for a while, and then I dropped them, and I wish I would have held on to them because they increased in value throughout the season. Yeah, it, it, that whole fantasy, it's not even so much picking the best people every week. It's picking people who are going to increase in value, and then when you know they're not going to do good, dumping them for someone that will, and just so then you can end up with the top four riders towards the end of the season. 
because yeah, like yeah. right now I have enough funds that I have. Let me look here. I've got Fabio, Aleish, and Pecco on my team. Like that's a lot of points every week to be able to score and Ducati for my manufacturer. And Holy I, crap. I, I screwed the pooch last week and put Marini in my lineup. So <laughs> that, that one took some points. <laughs> Because I was like, you know, he's a safe bet. An extremely safe bet to make. He would have been a safe bet in all fairness. Yeah. yeah. Same as Alicia in Japan, he would have been if, a safe bet. If I did not pick Marini and I'd pick someone else, I would be sitting incredibly well. Yeah, it just, it, honestly, it just pisses me off too much. I just... Well, and that's Josh's... Josh is, has the same mindset. He's saying, you know, next season he might not even do it because it sort of takes away from watching the race. Because then you're like you're you're wanting to watch the race, you're wanting oh, yep. to root for your favorite team, but at the same time you've got this fantasy brain, like part of your brain that's like, oh, but I want this rider to do good, I want that rider to do good, but it, that rider's beating my favorite team, and it, yeah. it's it's. I'm literally I'm, just sit and scream at my TV, not like no idea who I'm actually rooting for, right? Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> no, I just like I I just you know like I like I play to win. But right. I'm not good enough to win, so I just it just makes you me want. Yeah, it just makes me want to just you know throw my phone at the wall. So I just avoid it entirely. It's just easier, right? Oh, and like for me, like I have Bashanini, Banyaya, uh, Espargaro, and Bender as my four riders. And if you look at the stats, they are four of the top five riders. The only one I'm missing is Fabio. <laughs> But, but that has not missing piece. But that yeah. has not translated to points in my favor whatsoever. No. Yeah, it's the same as fantasy football, or as you would call it, soccer ball. Uh, no, I call it football. Good man, good <laughs> man. Because instead of hand egg. Yep. But uh, like fantasy football, like you'll see some of the best performing players from that from that game, and but then like, how do I, how do I explain it? Like. Well, I don't sound like an idiot. I don't think there's any way. Basically, if you pick a midfielder and he has a, a great game, but you pick a striker who scores one goal but has a crap game, he scores more points? Like, how does that right. work? Like, you know, that, that shouldn't be how it works. Well, yeah, because like in the fantasy, you, I've gotten lucky a couple of weeks. I've picked someone who's probably a good pick. They end up in Q1. They qualify in Q1 to Q2, and then they get on really good position in Q2. And that scores even more points than anything. And if you had Jack Miller last week, you get points. Well, I guess not if you would have had Jack. But if you start in a bad position and come forwards, you get more points for every position you pick up. So you don't even have to win to score the more, most points that week. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I think the whole rules of it is it's, just... It's more of a game than just picking who's going to be the best. That's, that's why the EMR podcast is the best. No. <laughs> the, 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 no, the fight the, the the game we to play is obviously predictions. It's yeah. quite literally you pick your rider for the week. Like your your podium for the week. And that's it. You get mm-hmm. one point if they're on the podium, five points if they're second, third, and like twenty five points for the win or, or ten, whatever. I can't remember the exact points to be honest, because I'm so far behind I've stopped caring. But it's like <laughs> Qualifying doesn't matter apart from you get an extra point if you predict pole position. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's much better for the simple brain like me. Right. 
Well, it's but easy fantasy. for you because deck does yeah. all the math, and you don't have to exactly. I don't even have to count. It's amazing. <laughs> I just got to pick. I just got to make just, stupid outside predictions, and then just be amazed pull names out of a hat and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, so like, I think that into is better than MotoGP fantasy for me, right? But like, I can see why the some people have the appeal. Like, it's like it's like um, F1 manager. The game has just come out. Some people don't want to drive; they just want to manage. You know, it's just, it's how it is. Everybody's mm-hmm. everybody's wired different. Yeah, so uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Um, Jacob, want to thank you for coming on, filling awesome. in. Matt, thank you very much for agreeing to do this crazy yeah, thank podcast. You for having us. Yeah, not a problem at all. Happy to come on. Had a good time. Mm-hmm. We hope you guys uh, will come back, and we didn't scare you away too much. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll come back sometime. Yeah, awesome. it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a good pod to be on. I'm happy with this. So, yeah, yeah, definitely come back. Well, thank you very much. Uh, as always, you can follow Jacob on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram and Facebook. Instagram and Facebook at NowMotoNews. Yeah, there we go. Nice. There we go. Got it that time. You can follow myself at MattPolanski1. You can follow Josh at RedSectorJosh on Twitter. Bunno is BunnoGP underscore on Twitter and BunnoGP on Instagram and BunnoGP underscore photography. He's got a bunch. Uh, Matt, any socials you want to Yeah, No, I don't have any I share. I'm not okay. too uh, integrated into social media. All right. He just well, doesn't he... want uh, the government to come find him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh yeah, be sure to follow the Red Sector on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that'll do it for today. And with that, keep the throttle pinned.